Yeah, and then I, I, I came upon a, a rather simple realization. Um, you know, many people think that writing a book is a big deal and it will get out to a lot of people. But I realized, particularly these days, even in the old days this was true, but these, these days it's even more true. Most people don't buy books. Okay? Few people do, realistically. You know, if you look at the population, very few people buy books. Of the people who buy books, very few people actually read it. You know, be honest. Most of the books you bought are still sitting on your bookshelf. You probably have never even opened it. I know I have quite a few of those. Okay? Two, uh, three, even if you opened it, most people do not read the whole book. They skim. They read chapter headings, you know, or say, let me look at chapter two, chapter four. They never read the whole even if they read the whole thing and understood it and they found it to be useful, most people don't apply it. They just think it's interesting. And most people have this really screwed up notion, really screwed up notion. I, I know I used to have this for years, that just because I've read the book and have the knowledge, I'm immediately more capable. That is BS because unless you apply it and you live intentionally, it's just knowledge. It's kind of like saying I have the Britannic, uh, you know, at home or the encyclopedia at home and I have a Wikipedia in my brain. Welcome to the Biology of Business, where we talk about the anatomy and physiology of a business so you can apply your clinical reasoning skills to your business reasoning and create a healthy, sustainable, impactful and profitable clinic. I hope you enjoy listening and subscribe. I'm Kate and this is the Biology of Business show and today we have the absolute pleasure of being joined by Ram Ayer. Good afternoon, Ram. Good morning, good lunchtime. No, it's coffee time with you, I think. <laughs> yes, indeed, it is. It is you, coffee. You have your morning coffee and I've got my post-lunch one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome, Ram. Ram, so a little bit of uh, background to you about you. First of all, you are currently working, uh, well, you're a five times entre entrepreneur and you also um, lecture or run a program at Princeton as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, um, I uh, had a number of life experiences. You know, I had, uh, I worked for Boeing, I worked for uh, AT&T, you know, Lucent Technologies. I've been a venture capitalist in Silicon Valley, and then I've started four companies. One of them served clients in 16 countries, uh, but the next one blew up in my face. And that was kind of hard because I lost millions. And so I had to tough, figure out. Tough on the ego in terms of, hang on a minute, I thought I knew what I was doing, to how did this occur? Correct. You know, the, mo mo the, the most difficult thing, you know, the, the most uh, not difficult thing, the, 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 the the question that kept popping up over and over again is, how could it happen to me? It could happen to John, Mary, Joe, but not me. But it happened. Mm -hmm. so, so I actually spent years introspecting. So many of the posts that you've seen are a result of a lot of that introspection. I've interviewed uh, ooh, probably about 100 and, 120 people. Maybe, maybe more, more than somewhere between 120 and 150 people uh, trying to understand different aspects of what happened and what they're doing and how what they're doing is different from what I'm doing. You know, you know how are people succeeding or why did people fail? And I kind of started putting all that together. And um, 
that became the basis for a series of books that I started writing. And so I think I have four books that are partially written. Um, and the board game in progress. Yeah, and then I, I, I came upon a, a rather simple realization. Um, you know, many people think that writing a book is a big deal and it will get out to a lot of people. But I realized, particularly these days, even in the old days this was true, but these, these days it's even more true. Most people don't buy books. Okay? Few people do, realistically. You know, if you look at the population, very few people buy books. Of the people who buy books, very few people actually read it. You know, be honest. Most of the books you bought are still sitting on your bookshelf. You probably have never even opened it. I know I have quite a few of those. Okay? Two, uh, three, even if you opened it, most people do not read the whole book. They skim. They read chapter headings, you know, or say, let me look at chapter two, chapter four. They never read the whole Even if they read the whole thing and understood it and they found it to be useful, most people don't apply it. They just think it's interesting. And most people have this really screwed up notion, really screwed up notion. I, I know I used to have this for years that just because I've read the book and have the knowledge, I'm immediately more capable. That is BS because unless you apply it and you live intentionally, it's just knowledge. It's kind of like saying I have the Britannic uh, you know, at home or the encyclopedia at home or I have a Wikipedia in my brain. Oh, Ram, you have unknowingly uh, answered a very important question that I've been puzzling over for some time which you don't know that you've answered. Um, I was invited a while ago to learn to speed read and I didn't want to learn to speed read. My dad can speed read and I've seen the speedy reads and that still <laughs> doesn't necessarily mean that, yeah. that, that it, how useful it is. But obviously he can get through books a lot faster than I can. But I didn't want to learn to speed read. And it, it, I mean, it wasn't my father, it was somebody else that was in, I had the invitation to speed read. Because I was very aware of exactly what you're saying. I can't read any faster than I am reading and implement what I want to implement from what I've just learned or reflected on. So um, you've answered you, you've answered a conundrum that's been going around because then I was also a bit like, oh, okay, maybe you should learn to speed read because sometimes it's frustrating that you can't get through all those books on your bookshelf and yeah. implement it fast enough. Yeah. 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 <laughs> then, then I kind of came upon another realization, which is, Let's say that I want to do a critique of your dress, right? Yes. Okay, please tell me uh, zero being not excited at all and 10 being super excited that Ram is going to critique your dress. Give me a number. <laughs> Two. You get my point, yeah, right? Yeah. Nobody wants to be criticized, nobody. Yeah. Everybody would like to think that, you know, this lovely face I see in the morning, you know, it, it's, it's like they have a, a very uh, rosy view of the world. I'm not saying it's wrong. It's good for their own ego. It's good for their, for their own psychology. But uh, what that does is, one, you can't tell people something is wrong with them. Two, if I say, Kate, here is a list of things that are wrong with you, you will never talk to me again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? And then I say something specific like, this is what you need to do with your hair. It's like, oh, my God. You know, how dare he talk to me like that? Right? And uh, so I said, how do I get the message across to people 
without criticizing them, without telling them something is wrong, without giving them a list of what's wrong with them, without lecturing to them how to fix what's wrong with them. I yes. said, Ram, that's an easier question to ask than to answer. Yes. <laughs> yes. Then I had an aha. Again, everybody likes to play games. Yes. So I developed this game, which is taking about almost a year now, uh, which has three key areas, uh, because this is specifically do, to do with how people can make more money and how people can be more successful in business. Okay? When people think about business, only people who are a business who are business owners think they're in business, or people who are not business owners think, I'm not in business. That is very untrue. Anytime you trade your time, your knowledge, or your skills in return for compensation, you are in business. So let's say you work for some big company, say uh, Lever, okay? Um, uh, Unilever, now it's called Unilever. Unilever, uh, let's say you get paid 100,000 pounds and your colleagues are getting paid 140,000 pounds. Okay, you are in business and you need to ask yourself, am I providing enough value to warrant them paying me 140? If the answer is yes, of course, objectively, you're a bad business person because you haven't made sure that you get the appropriate compensation for the value that you provide, okay? If you're a business person, obviously you're a business person and if you're selling products, uh, services or solutions and you're not getting adequately compensated, you know, you're a bad business person, you know, you're not being smart about it. So everybody is in business. So I said, what are the basic things? I boiled it down to three things. One, I found that pretty much everybody with very few exceptions is looking to get something for nothing or a very good deal. In other words, Kate and I are doing business. I, Ram, want to get a good deal. I'm gonna make sure I get a good deal from Kate. Guess what that means? If Ram gets a really, 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 really good deal, Kate gets a really, really, really bad deal. <laughs> so we set it up as a win-lose. So in other words, I need to win all the time. The other person has to lose all the time. Okay, if I do that repeatedly, let's say I do it a couple of times with you. First time I do it, you're gonna say, you know what, dealing with Ram, not so good because you know he, he gave me a really bad deal. Second time I come, you say, I don't know if I wanna deal with him, but okay, maybe I will. And you again get a really bad deal. Third time I come, are you even gonna entertain dealing with me? Mm. So that's a fundamental flaw that everybody has. So I found that there are four types of people in the world. One, these kind of people who are constantly looking for something for nothing. I label them as thieves. It's, it's really that simple. You know, I, I want something for nothing. The opposite of that are people who tend to give, 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 but not get enough compensation. So like going back to your uh, Unilever example, a kid is getting 100,000 pounds, whereas everybody else is getting 140. Uh, let's say you're providing the same value. You're a sucker for settling for 100,000 pounds. 
third kind of people are people who are hobbyists who just keep jumping from job to job to job. Oh, I find this interesting, that interesting. They're always uh, attracted to shiny objects. And therefore, they never become good at anything. They never uh, become you know, highly competent to, uh, to warrant a high compensation. And those people I call hobbyists. The fourth kind of people are what I call fair traders. They say, listen, this is Ram, Kate, I'm going to do X for you, and for that I want Y pounds. And you say, you know what, that was a fair deal. Um, next time I come and I say, okay, I'm going to do A for you, and I want B pounds, etc. Right. So that one, that is where you have, if you go look at your group of suppliers or who you do business with, you tend to do business with people who give you fair value. You continue to do business. I'm not talking about one time. I'm talking about look at who you do business with 10 times or 20 times. Yes. Okay. I, I haven't said anything so far that people don't already know. This is all obvious and common sense. But people still chase to get money for nothing or you chase to get a very, very good deal and make sure the other person gets a very, very bad deal. Yeah, so the thieves and the and the suckers. Thieves and the suckers are, are two contrasts. Yeah. And then you have the hobbyists, you know, who kind of bounce around a lot. And uh, then the, the fair traders. And then I found that your mindset has a bigger role to play in whether you make money, whether you make more money, whether you succeed in business, whether you're more successful in business or not. Because your quest had been, after your first business had succeeded and your second business had failed, to understand how has it yeah. occurred and what, what, is the, what, what are the answers I need to find. To, and it led you down this route of yeah. looking at so, so, belief systems. Correct. And, and, and I, I looked at that and, uh, you know, people said, oh, it's your mindset. You know, I remember I, I spoke with Marshall Goldsmith, who is a famous executive coach. He was ranked number one in the world for two years. So I know Marshall. I was in his uh, condo in uh, Manhattan in New York. And I was talking to him and I said, Marshall, people kept, keep telling me my wiring is like this. He says, oh, it's your mindset. And I said, yeah, I've read the book Mindset by Carol Dweck, but I don't quite understand what that means, you know? Then I started digging into it and people said, oh, it's just your beliefs. I said, yeah, it's beliefs, but let's say that Kate comes and says, uh, Ram, um, I'll give you 10,000 um, pounds if you come to me, come to London uh, on your daughter's 21st birthday. I'm gonna say I'll pass because I value my daughter's 21st birthday more than I value 10,000 pounds. So I'm not, I haven't put a monetary value on my daughter's 21st birthday, but I have placed a relative, I've given it a relative value saying it's much higher than 10,000 yes. pounds. Okay, so if you give me 10 million pounds, I may talk to my daughter and say, honey, no, why don't we go celebrate it in London? <laughs> That's different. So that kind of goes back to people say everybody has a price. It's not that everybody has a price. Everybody has a certain value for what they have in life. Yes. That's what that means. So, so I looked into that and then I said, okay, so it's beliefs and then it's values. Then I noticed some people, like people who belong, who follow certain religions or belong to certain communities, have certain 
rules that they follow. Okay. Think about this very basic thing. When you were born, when I was born, we were all born buck naked. We had no idea of beliefs, values, none of that stuff. All of these were passed on to us. They were uh, injected, if you will, into us, okay? Particularly in our early childhood. Uh, there is a, uh, the founder of the Jesuit movement, uh, his name is uh, Ignatius Loyola. He said this, and I read this, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago, and I remember this. He said, give me a child for the first seven years, and I will show you the man. Give me a child for the first seven years, and I will show you the man. And I go, seven years? Okay. In the first seven years is when you are told right, wrong, what is more valuable, what is less valuable, who is, who is good, who is bad. You get all those basics, okay? And you go, so why does that matter? When I did more research, I found that there are essentially, I mean, this is, clearly think about this conceptually. I'm not a, uh, a neurologist per se. Uh, there are three brains. One is the logical brain. It's our left brain that we think with. Second one is the emotional brain. But there is the third brain most people don't talk about. That's what is the reptilian brain. Okay, it's based, it's at the top of the uh, spinal cord. Okay, um, all of us have it. So, so let me ask you a simple question. So I said, okay, so we have three brains. So what's the big deal? Every day you make, let's say, a thousand decisions. Actually, the number is much higher. But let's say you make a thousand. Let's say you make a hundred decisions. Okay. How many of those things, how many of those decisions do you think you make thoughtfully using your left brain, your logical brain? Give me a number. Somewhere between zero and 100. No, the majority will be emotional. So we're talking about out of, a, if we're saying if it's out of 100, just to keep the number uh, simple. Three, the ones you actually think. You're, you're very good. Less than five, okay? Mm -hmm. It's less, it's in the single digits, okay? So then the, that begs the natural uh, next question, which is, so if I'm not logically making these decisions, who is making these decisions? Okay. Some things must be okay. habit. So getting in the car and driving on the left or right side of the road. Okay, so, so if you're driving and you're looking at your son and talking to him, there is some part of the brain that still is scanning the area and making sure that you're not running into somebody. You know that's happening, yes. right? Yes. Guess what? That's your reptilian brain, okay? What the reptilian brain does is that's where memories are stored, not like in the cerebellum, but uh, memories are stored, and it is there to protect you. So for example, let's say you walk up to a squirrel. You notice a squirrel runs away, climbs a tree, and then it runs to the other side of the tree from you. Have you noticed that? There is nothing in the squirrel's brain that's saying, okay, run to the tree, climb up the tree, go to the other side. It just does it. It has a reptilian brain, okay? It's the reptilian brain for the squirrel. We have the same kind of reaction to a lot of things that happen. So for example, if I come and try to punch you in the face, okay, are you saying, Oh, this is Ram Iyer. He's a nice guy. He's not going to hit me. I don't need to move my face. No. The moment you see the fist coming, you're just like ducking, right? 
that's your reptilian brain. Okay? So the reason I point this out is over 90% of the decisions we make as human beings are made by the reptilian brain. Over 90%. Okay? So the reason I'm saying all this is if in the first seven years you develop a set of beliefs, you develop a set of values because those are also given to you, and <clears throat> um, rules, principles, you know, think about all this, this. I have a whole model on this that I develop. What happens is that's what's going to drive you. So after the first seven years, uh, does that mean that you will not change your beliefs, you will not change your values? No, I'm not saying that. You need to have an intentionally positive emotional experience or intensely negative emotional experience in order for you to uh, change something or have something. This is as you live, okay? So I can interview people uh, for an hour and I can tell you, uh, I can flag uh, key beliefs that drive you, um, key values that drive you rather quickly. In fact, as, as I've told you before, um, based upon my personal experiences, I developed a set of questions based upon issues that I had faced. So I'll give you a simple example. My father was the first graduate in his entire family. He had seven siblings. My mother has six, five siblings, and she was the first woman to even finish high school. Okay? Dad went on to get two bachelors and one master's, and mom has two bachelors, and she got a master's at the age of 76. Okay? We have three kids. I have two sisters. Between the three of us and our three spouses, we have 14 master's degrees. Okay? So here was my father who, you know, who went to high school. He went to college, right? He lived in a village. And as you know, I graduated from MIT. MIT is like the uh, Cambridge of uh, the U.S. Yep. Um, it's like, how did that happen? They put a tremendous emphasis on education. Yes. They valued education very highly. That sounds like a wonderful story, but it has a catch. What they didn't emphasize was the importance of making money, the importance of making more money, the importance of building wealth, the importance of growing your wealth, those were not taught to us because those were not valued. And guess where those, guess where all of those were decided for me when I was young? Before so, you were even born, it was decided for you and your sisters that education was important even. Yeah, see, the, the, the thing is, uh, many of the our mindsets, here is a very simple headline. Our mindsets are transgenerational. Yes. In other words, your grandpa got it from his father, you know, and his family, and then your father, then your mother, you know, it kind of came down to you, and that's what you're passing on to. That's why when you go and look at a group of Brits and you compare them to a group of Indians, you say, my gosh, they're so different. It's like, what? It's transgenerational. It's cultural. <clears throat> okay? So if I take like if your son was transplanted to Sri Lanka and raised there for, like he's what, nine years old? Yes, yeah, yeah, thereabouts, yeah, nearly. 
he would think and act like a Sri Lanka, based upon the environment in which he was raised. Okay, so the reason why this would be interesting to people who are listening is um, you are who you are because of how you were raised. Okay, um, you currently do not consciously control many of the decisions that you make. You don't, okay? But you can change that. You can change that. And changing it requires you to reorient some of your uh, mindset. And like I, I gave you this example of the game, you know, your approach to making money, I can lecture to you that here is a better approach. But if you play the game and uh, it's like, I don't know if you remember this very famous experiment that was conducted at Harvard by, I think uh, his, uh, his name was Skinner, um, who uh, gave mice certain uh, incentives, I think candy or sweets or something like that, every time they did a certain thing and punished them if they did something different. Over time, you know, Reward, punishment, reward, punishment, reward, punishment. Guess what the mouse uh, started doing? It avoided avoided the thing that would get it punishment and did the thing that it was being rewarded for. So that's a simple way of looking at how you got brainwashed or conditioned in the first place. But that's also the key to how you could get reconditioned in order to embrace uh, a, an enabling mindset. In that change, you can create your own reward system to entice yourself to, if you recognize there's something you're wanting to change, you can create your own reward system. Um, theoretically, you're right, but practically, no. Um, people think they can change, but most people can't. Okay? They need help. Mm. So, so like things like this game, um, they kind of help you without telling you that something is wrong. Because yeah. the idea is not to tell you something is wrong, you know? And there is no one right way or one wrong way. Just because, let's say that I come up with the ROMs 10 rules. Does that mean 8 billion people in the world will embrace all 10 rules? No, you're gonna take, you, you, you already have Kate's 10 rules, okay? And you're gonna say, I'm gonna take ROMs number two and number six. The rest of it, yeah. So you're going to become you will always be uniquely Kate. That will never change, right? And you, so, so you can only become a better version of yourself. And these things that I found in this game, I'm going to have at least I've so far identified 22 different versions of the game I'm going to create. <clears throat> We've got the first one for entrepreneurs. Then I'm going to create one for business owners, which are slightly different. Then for business leaders, people who work at large companies. Like, like say Unilever. Then if you're an employee of the company or any company or employee anywhere, of uh, even an organization, you have to have a different kind of uh, uh, mindset and different kind of situations you have to face. And the, pur- uh, like- the purpose of the game, is it to apply the experiential learning to come up with your own realizations then in terms of where or, or I could do with thinking about that a bit better or... You, you, you hit the nail on the head. See, here is the one difference. There are many managers who think that, you know what, Kate doesn't know what she needs to know, but you know what, 
on the job. She'll figure it out. She'll grow, grow into it. She'll grow into it. And they're thinking like, it's not like one year, two years. Maybe it's five years, 10 years. Okay. So what the game does, uh, at least that's my thinking and that's my belief, is that by putting you in situations, because it requires you to use your judgment in many cases. You know, what would you do here? What would you do there? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of thought that went into the game. Now, do you want to partner with somebody? If you partnered, you would have certain benefits, but there are certain drawbacks. Uh, you know, what do you want to do now? Do you want to take the thief approach to going up quickly, or do I want to take uh, you know a longer approach? Each one of these things is a choice. So, see, keep one key thing in mind: the brain often does not know. This is based on research. The difference between what actually happened to you and what you imagined happened to you. It doesn't know the difference. It's about perception then. It's about your perception of what happened. Yeah, also also perception. But but what I'm saying is, let's say that um, I, I, I come and give you 10,000 pounds. Okay, physically give you 10,000 pounds. You got 10,000 pounds. But if you imagine getting 10,000 pounds 100 times or 200 times, you know, uh, this is what uh, is the power of affirmations, right? Uh, or or uh, visualization. Like, for example, if you go and look at Olympic athletes, like let's say somebody is doing the 100-meter dash, they envision every single step. Like swimmers apparently do this as well. They imagine every single piece of the mechanics that they go through in order to swim in a, an absolutely flawless manner. Not that they'll achieve it, but then once it becomes, once they imagine it, the brain goes to work and says, okay, so Kate wants to swim like this, like this, like this, like this, etc." So take that analogy and put it to the game. And I'm saying there are four approaches to making money, but I'm not lecturing you about four approaches. There are four types of tiles. So you pick the thief tile sometimes, you pick the hobbyist tile sometimes, and then, so at the end of each tile, as you move up, we say, tell everybody else who's playing with you what you learned from playing this tile. So for example, it could be, well, I wanted to be the first one to finish a tile. So Kate got the hobbyist tile. So I said, I need to pick a tile that has fewer squares to move. I've chose the thief tile. But that was a really stupid move because Kate has already finished getting out of that tile and I'm still hitting these go back 10 steps or pay $10,000 or you know, pay $100,000 because there are penalties. Because that's where more bad things happen to you. More good things could happen, but more bad things. So generally like on a thief tile, we have like, you know, collect $100,000 from the bank and people go, 100,000, I'm going to take the thief tile. But right next to it, it says, Pay a hundred thousand. It's karma. <laughs> yeah. So, so what that does is it does the mental conditioning. So you decide which approach is better. And mindset. Every time you get a positive mindset, you get rewarded. You get paid for it. Like you know, if you have three positive mindset cards, and you go through a gate, it says gate has three. So each one, I forget what it is, like twenty thousand. So you get sixty thousand. You go, oh, okay. So that's a good thing to have. If you have negative mindset. You have to, you get less. Yes. And then it reinforces why you're getting less. Yes. So, so the, 
game like affirmations can help positively reinforce the behaviors that are going to get you the outcome that you want and the realizations of the behaviors that perhaps aren't going to get you the outcomes that you want so you can recognize them and catch yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so that's the way I thought of teaching adults. And, you know, we're going to have a version of the game for women. Uh, we can, we're going to you know, we're going to create many, and you know uh, we will create one for uh, uh, kids, because if they've been brainwashed before the age of seven, a good time to do uh, re re, re uh, what's the right word uh, re reorient them a bit yeah. is to do it at a young age so that they get the benefit. So. so this has all come about because of your recognition and you're searching for answers from how can I go from being so successful to then having such pain in business? Why does this occur and what, what are other people's stories? And on that discovery, you recognize that it's our values, our beliefs and what we've learned in childhood about money, about business, about ourselves that creates the world we're in now. And if yeah. we can, if we can recognise our disablers, our weaknesses, our baggage, then we have the opportunity to proactively do something about it. And that can be through affirmations, through playing games like yours, where we start to recondition yeah. our mind and our experiences to to create the world we want to be in. See, here, here's another key thing that I found that will be very useful to people. Let's say you know you're born and at a young age, you know you start, you know you go get your education, you learn about the world your strengths, you start finding out, oh, I am Kate, I'm really good with people. I'm Kate, I'm good at math. Kate, you know, I'm good at writing. But, you know, science I don't like so much. You know, you kind of like start building. So that strength grows. And then you go to college, then you go and get a job, and they put you, you know, put you through training and all of that stuff. You keep going. But then when you get to about middle age, that starts to plateau. Very simple. So, so look at any of your strengths and think of how much it increased in the first 10 years of your life or the first 20 years of your life. And then look at how much it's improving or increasing now. Mm. The improvement becomes incremental. It's not that uh, you're good with people and you're getting better at people, but you cannot get, get better at dealing with people by 50% or 20% anymore. It may be yeah, this year I did, I improved by 1%. Okay, so that's a simple thing. So it's kind of, it goes up, it plateaus, but you know, it may go up a little bit, but not a whole lot. Here's the other important thing. At the same time, from the time you're born, you have certain weaknesses. You have a really bad temper, Kate. You, you know, I hate being with you. People don't like you, blah, 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 blah. So that also is growing, okay? But human nature is, when we look at ourselves in the mirror, we don't want to recognize our faults. And we don't want anybody to tell us that something is wrong with us. How dare you do that, right? So you have your strengths and you have these weaknesses also growing. When you're young, your strengths can overpower your weaknesses because you kind of play your strengths over and over and over and over again. And then I said, wait a minute. So there are known strengths that you're leveraging, which is what has gotten you to this point. <clears throat> but there are three other things you've ignored. One, you have certain unknown strengths. Because once you know that a red blouse is good on me, what do you wear most of the time? Red blouse, okay? Does that mean that a blue blouse is not good on you? Mm. 
but we never stop and think because we overplay the hand that we know and don't play the hand that we may have. Strengths. Two, we all have weaknesses. So you know you have a bad temper, but you hide it. Okay? Does hiding the temper make it go away? Doesn't. It's still there. And you may be at some big client uh, negotiation and, you know, John says something and you go, God damn it, John, how dare you do that? How dare you say that? It comes up. Okay? But we never address that because addressing that means you have to say something is wrong with you. People don't want to address it. Four, and this is perhaps the most important, we all have hidden flaws, hidden disablers. Okay? Maybe your mother's seen it, maybe your sisters have seen it, or brothers, family, maybe your colleagues have, but nobody would dare come and tell your kid something is wrong with you. But because you're still kind of riding on your strengths, you don't even notice it either. And you keep riding it and you keep ignoring it. So over time, what happens is you have your, 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 your strengths that get to a certain point, but your weaknesses are growing because you're ignoring these. You're leveraging these. These are not getting much better. These keep growing. And the smaller the gap between the two, the lesser your success. Yes. Really? It's as simple as that that you've discovered in the, in terms of that, that lovely visual you've just described there makes it actually very simple to understand. Yeah. So what I found, uh, very simply a headline, particularly when you get to and past your middle age, think 30s and above, okay? Um, it is easier to become more successful by identifying and mitigating or eliminating your disablers and weaknesses than it is by over leveraging your strengths. Because, you know, uh, after a while, if the only thing people see Kate wearing is a red blouse, they'll say, gee, what is she? She thinks, a, does she think she's a matador? Where are the bulls? You know? <laughs> right? So, 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 so what I did was I, I, I found, for example, for people in business, it comes down to four things. One is uh, they need to change their approach to making money. I told you about those four. The, the thief, the sucker, the hobbyist, and the fair trader. Two, uh, find out your negative mindset. So, so approach to making money, if you have the wrong one, obviously embrace the correct one. Two, if you have a negative mindset, meaning you have certain beliefs that are disabling you or values that are not helping you to make more money or be more successful in business, you have to identify those and modify those, make them enabling. Okay. Third thing is <clears throat> there is a process of business thinking, meaning uh, if you go and talk to somebody who's been in business for a long time, right, you go and look at them. And I interviewed about three dozen people. And I found out that it boils down to 12, 12 stages. Everybody goes through 12 stages of making money. It's, it's not like, I can't want to make you know, a million pounds this year. It's not going to come to you, this process. So I found those 12, and we've baked those in as well. So if you learn it, you can apply it. 
if you go to somebody who's seasoned, they do it so well and make a lot of money and continue to make a lot of money. Continue is a very key thing because they have mastered business thinking. Yes, because it's that lack of continuation that frustrated you and drove you on this quest to find these answers in the first place. And for them, it's second nature. Yes. Okay, for Kate, it may not be second nature, but the, here's the good news. You can learn it. So it's about training the reptilian brain then? You have to retrain your reptilian brain. Okay. And then the fourth thing, which I forgot, which is actually the first thing is, you have to go and identify uh, some of that basic, you uh, know, adolescent uh, conditioning that you went through and see what you need to get rid of. Mm. So, so based upon my experiences, I have one assessment which has only 17 questions, one seven. Okay, you answer 17 questions, it takes about five and a half, five, five to six minutes to answer. I can tell you with a 81% certainty, eight one, whether you are likely to succeed in business or not. And if not, does it highlight what to work on? Then it's step two, three, and four. Yes. So if it's not, Go look at your approach to making money. Go look at your mindset and make sure you understand, learn, and practice business thinking. So, so one of the websites that I have, I own the domain businessthinking.com. So on that, I have these 12 phases. We talk about it. So, so you, you take it. Now, I'm going to put a link to Ram's quiz that he's just mentioned in the show notes here because I had a look at the quiz and the realisations you get just by looking at the quiz. I very specifically remember one where it said there's no such thing as a money tree. It's like, who hasn't been told that? <laughs> in the, it, it asks you what um, something about what your childhood beliefs are about money and it gives a series of statements for you to sort of check which ones are, you recognise or not. And the, yes, I, I, you get realizations just going, just looking at the quiz and reading the questions, but the money tree one did make me laugh. I thought, oh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I have the four broad quizzes. One is about this, your childhood experience. And when I say 81%, that's based on statistics. About a thousand people have taken that quiz already. What that means is, let's say that I want to find out if you're a nice person or not. And I ask you only one question. Do you cut your hair short? Yes or no? Okay. The first thing that comes to your mind is, um, what the hell does my haircut have to do with whether I'm nice or not? Right? Fair, fair, fair question. Uh, what, what you can find, uh, what you can learn from statistics is if I go to a thousand people and I find that people who cut their hair short are nice, okay? I can spend hours trying to figure out if Kate is a nice person or not, which I can do, right? Or ask her one question because there's a high correlation or I have found a high correlation between people with short hair and nice people. Okay, so it's correlation, not causality. In other words, you're not nice because you cut your hair short. No, it says that Generally, people who cut their head short are nice people. Yes. That's the correlation. Yes. So it goes and looks at all these questions, so these 17 questions, and say, the central thesis is, will this person make more money? Yes or no? That's all we want to find out. And then say, 
Question one, how relevant was it for a thousand people? Question two, how relevant was it? Question 17, how relevant? And it assigns a score to the overall assessment. It says these questions are, you know, you know you've taken assessments and you read a question, you go, what the hell does this have to do with why I'm taking this assessment? So this one says, 81% of the time, the correlation is very valid, which is extremely high. The typical, uh, it's called the Kronbach Alpha for those who are interested in statistics. The typical Kronbach Alpha for an assessment is between about around 40%, 40, maybe 50. Crossing 50 is like, wow, a seasoned assessment creator would do that. This one is 81%. Second thing I told you about things that are within us that cause us to fail. Uh, when you go look at, I gave you the example of the red gloves, right? So the way most people think, and this is what I found when I was initially looking at it, is Ram, you failed because you lack something. So Kate, you failed because you don't wear, you know, you lack a red. That's why, that's why you fail. Two, most of the things people point out that you lack, that is preventing your greatest success is external, like a red blouse or you know, black shoes or you know, you know, you need to be in a you know office, you know, you, you need to be sitting in a uh, you know fancy office. They come up with different things, or you need to be driving a Jaguar, whatever. I found that I I chased that for years. Then I came upon a very simple realization. People say you fail because one, you lack something, and two, whatever they said I lack was external. I used a technique called inversion thinking. And I said, what if I had failed not because I lack something, but because I have something? Two, what if it's not external, but internal to me? In other words, did I fail because I am wrong? It's kind of like saying, Kit, you're a failure because you, kid, are a screw-up. It's like, who wants to hear that? Right? But that's the realization I came to. And then I said, what do I have today? And this was back in 2017. What do I have today that may have caused me to fail? I came up with three reasons. I picked up the phone. I called all my friends again who gave me this initial thing. Uh, these were people at MIT, at Harvard, at the Harvard Business School, people at McKinsey, Deloitte, a bunch of places. Um, and they told me this. And then I said, you know, I looked at it this way. And they said, hmm, in that case, let me tell you how else you screwed up. <laughs> <laughs> Once you were open and you'd open the door for their feedback, they were more than willing to, yeah. to share. Yeah. So, so, so that went from 3 to 7 to 12. And then I got invited to speak at MIT. I spoke at the Sloan School, which is the business school then the Sloan Club of Boston, then the Tech Association of Boston. So I call those the silent killers of success, things within and around us that cause us to fail or prevent our greatest success. Yes. And if you can elicit those. Yes. Yeah, if you identify those, you can work on them. Yeah. Okay. So I have an assessment that identifies those. So those are 20 of them, two zero, okay, that I've identified so far. Then I got invited to speak at Harvard. And uh, they said, what will you talk on? Uh, because they'd heard about this talk. You know, I said, silent killers of success. They go, 
we don't like that uh, title so much. And I said, okay, so these are a bunch of Harvard graduates. Okay. Uh, I put a subheading to that, said, why many smart people are not successful? Okay. I said, how many people should I expect for the talk? They said, oh, it's a Tuesday, 40, 50 people. 220 people showed up for the talk. So I realized I'd hit the nerve. Yeah. Then I said, so I said, maybe this is, this is a problem with smart people, meaning people who went to Harvard, Oxford, you know, Cambridge, etc. Then I realized that it is not to do with Harvard, Cambridge, or Oxford. If you think you're smart, it's like, Kate, you closed that million pound deal. Oh my goodness, you're a brilliant woman. Okay? The moment that gets to your head, you think you are more capable than you really are. Mm -hmm. Okay? If you only give yourself as much credit as you deserve, you're fine. But if you give yourself more credit than you really are, and let's say you become complacent, right? So next time there is a million dollar deal and Ram is uh, spending two months to compete with you and you're saying, I've closed a million dollar deal, I can beat Ram, I only need two days of preparation. You're gonna fall yes. flat on your face. Yes. Okay. So the key message to hear here is that smartness is not so much about where you went to school or what your IQ is. You don't need to have an IQ above 130 to be considered smart. The moment you think you're smart, you're smart. Who am I to tell you you're not smart? Nobody can say that to anybody else. So a cow herder could say, I'm smart. Are you going to say, I went to Cambridge and you're a cow herder and therefore you're not smart? No. So the moment people feel smart, that smartness can be used in one of two ways. You can use that. So I, I'm really smart, but I find that I'm not good at, you know. Herding cows. Huh? Herding cows, maybe. Herding and therefore, I go hire somebody who's good at herding, Okay. And between the two of us, we are more capable. Or I could be an absolute ass and say, you idiot, you're only a cow herder. You know, I want to have nothing to do with you, which makes me less capable and less competitive in the marketplace. Yeah, your ranch isn't selling good beef if that's the case. Correct. <laughs> so the smartness can be an enabler for you if you yeah. choose to, or a disabler. Yeah. So I have another assessment which uh, looks at so, so we, we identified over 60 factors, 60 things that happen to people who consider themselves to be smart. Um, I hired two psychologists who helped me put all this together. We found that people who consider, so, so you took these 62 or 63 factors, 63 things that happen. And when I gave it to them, they said, Ram, you can give me 63, but it all boils down to these 16. It just shrank okay. down, okay? And if you take that assessment, each one of them, it will tell you if you're using your smartness in an enabling way or a disabling way on each of those 16 factors. I'll give you a simple example. About six, six or eight weeks ago, I had a guy call me. Um, MIT, as you know, is the number one engineering school in the world. Okay. 
And the most difficult department to get into at MIT, the major, is electrical engineering and computer science. Okay, it's called course six. This guy who called me was a graduate of MIT with a bachelor's, master's, and a PhD in electrical engineering and computer science, course six. So amongst MIT alums, if you said, Ram, I'm a graduate of course six, we kind of like, oh, great one, because that's the most difficult program to get into. So this guy had a bachelor's, master's, and a PhD. He was 52 years old, or he is 52 years old, because this happened just a few weeks ago, and he's living paycheck to paycheck. Okay. He called me because he took that assessment, and I'm going to use some profanity to, I'm going to tell you what he told me verbatim. He says, he took the thing, he says, Ram, I took the assessment, I know what the fuck is wrong with me now. Out of those 16, he had 13 disablers, and he had zero enablers. So for all his academic intelligence and his wizardry with computers and electronics, he had so many disablers, he was unable to get the success that he wanted in business. He still is, in life, not only business, in life. He's still in a very junior job at, at, at the age of 52. Okay, so this thing has been, I've had many people take it. So, so you can take these three assessments together. Then we have a fourth one, which looks at people uh, and how well they know business thinking. You simply say, well, I'm a math major. I'm, 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 I'm good at anything. How am I, why am I not making more money? There's a reason. I'm a physical therapist. I went to you know, a physical therapy college. You know, I have a master's degree in that. Why am I struggling to make money? Why am I struggling to earn a higher salary if you're working? Either way. And it boils down to <laughs> you don't understand the business thinking or you're not practicing it or you're not practicing it intentionally, meaning that, you know how we say, you know what, uh, I'm going to watch my, my diet and you do that for one day, or, or say, I'm going to go to the gym. You go for one week and then stop. Or you, you follow the diet for one week and stop. So unless you do it continuously and live it, live intentionally, yes. you won't see the benefits. Yes. So these are like four assessments. And uh, I think I've shared with you the links to three of them. The fourth one is still being cleaned up a little bit. But these are all simple, practical. They're based upon experience. Uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, I didn't sit in a back room, in a dark back room and concoct these, you know. Uh, they were based on personal experience. And people say, explain this to me. I, I can explain it. So what you also do so beautifully, Ram, is give the hope in terms of you can identify this, your disablers. You can identify uh, the things that are holding you back. And you can fix it. And you can fix them. The first and step is being able, is taking the, the ownership or the opportunity to um, face yourself in the mirror to find them. Yeah, see, simple headline, if, if people want to say, you know, what's the, what's the message here? A very simple message, very simple message. Uh, everybody can be more successful. Everybody, without exception. Two, everybody can make more money. Everybody in business, which is most people, can be more successful in business. If only... They went and used the right approach to making money, 
made sure they identified and mitigated things that are holding them back, use their smartness in an enabling way, not a disabling way, and then learn and practice uh, intentionally business thinking. Everybody can make more money, everybody. And your quizzes help you do that risk register of yourself, basically. Yeah, so if you're serious about doing it, you can understand what's holding you back. See, it's, it's, a, it's a simple thing. I have a, I have a visual. Um, hold on one second, I'll, I'll show you this. See, these people are all running a race, okay? So how many people in the race are dressed to run a race? Yes. There's only one person, okay? He's got sneakers on and he's dressed, etc. Kate, do you, Kate, have baggage? Do I, Ram, have baggage? Answer is yes for everybody. We all carry baggage. Some carry more baggage. Like, why the heck do you need to carry 200 pounds or 100 kilos, okay, when running a race? Why do you need high heels? And why do you need to drag baggage? People do this. So this is a disempowering mindset. These could be silent killers that are holding you back, okay? Many people are reluctant. They... Think, overthink, they bark. They say, well, Kate, you know, I hear what you're saying, but you know what? I'm not really into it. I'm, I'm not buying into it. I'm not going to do it. I know you're telling me there's an easier way to make money or a smarter way to make money. I'm not going to do it. Or same thing with this guy, you know? So people have money reluctance. This may seem a uh, uh, um, kind of a, a, thing, a hard thing to, uh, to buy, but many people do not want to make money because they were conditioned when they were young that money is evil. Money is the root cause of all evil. You earn more money, your life will become miserable. And therefore, the reptilian brain says, Kate, don't make more money. Your life will become miserable. <laughs> okay, And then you say, gee, why, why are things? A lot of people do not want to get into business. They say, gee. So, for example, if I sell a makeup kit to... Uh, to Kate, I can make money, but oh, you know what? I don't know if I want to do that. I don't feel comfortable selling. Selling is a really bad thing. You don't want to get into business. So we behave in ways based upon certain generalities that somebody fed to us at a young age and society continues to feed us, even as adults. And most of us are not stopping and saying, does that really make sense? We're not asking that simple question. It's a, it's a simple but necessary question because if you don't question some of these things, you're going to continue to run with a 200-pound backpack or fall flat on your face and not you know, get up. Except, one second, I need to, well, maybe here. Let's see. Ah, here it is. So when you think about uh, strengths and weaknesses, right, most people, focus on their strengths that are known to them, which is basically this one. Mm. Okay. What people know uh, as weaknesses are what people tell them about. You know, you, you know your, your mother can tell you, Kate, you have a nasty temper, but most people would not come and tell you that to your face, not in, not in a workplace situation, right? So you kind of know that, right? Uh, but, you know, you're kind of like, when you're dealing with the world, you're trying to, you try to hide that temper. You mask it. 
and say, oh, you know, oh, it's so wonderful to see you, Ram. You know, it's like, and it's like inside you're like seething, right? But you know it, okay? But people tend not to work on it because they say, they, they for some reason, uh, many people, I think they can relate to this, ignore these kind of weaknesses and disablers in the hopes that they will go away. They don't go away. Then here comes the thing. Everybody has hidden strengths. It's like a superman or superwoman. But because they found these strengths and they use it, they have been using it over and over again. In our example, the red blouse. Since you know the red blouse looks good, you use it over and over and over and over again until people kind of like, Kate, red blouse Kate. You know, they'll even give you a name. But you may be good with the blue blouse. And you, know, you don't know that because you haven't. So hidden strengths exist for all of us, but we don't go find it. These assessments can help you find that. Then the unknown weaknesses and disablers are unknown even to us, unknown, unknown to you, unknown to me. These surface samples. Uh, when, when, when I do this for groups, uh, people come back and say, I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. They're like completely surprised by it. So, so this is a very simple graphic that uh, helps people to understand, you know, that they need to look at these three and they and address these three, leverage these three, you know, leverage these strengths and mitigate these two in order to become more successful. This is true for life. This is true for money. Brilliant. Thank you, Ram. Thank you very much. Yeah. So, so this is these are the ties. Four types of ties. You know the uh, the uh, thief, uh, uh, sucker, hobbyist, and fair uh, trader. These are the mindset cards. These are event cards. So it's like such such and such a thing happened, or you made this mistake, or you know you have this uh, belief and therefore you pay a penalty, or you know you have this you did this this smart thing and therefore you collect you know twenty thousand dollars from the bank, etc. So you kind of like lay these tiles, you know, one, two, three, four, get to the top. When you get up here, you get a million. See, this is the mindset model. See, you have the world, and we only observe these things, you know. So, you know, Kate is angry, Kate is assertive, Kate is confident, Kate is arrogant, etc. But we never stop and say, why is Kate getting angry at this? Why is Kate feeling confident in this particular situation? The reason is Kate is, has a set of beliefs, certain thoughts, certain rules, certain values, uh, certain things she says to herself, certain expectations. You know, all of these influence how you behave. And then you say, where the heck do these come from? They come from, you know, what generation are you in? So like, for example, your father's generation has a different mindset than you. There's a reason, because he grew up with a certain set of common beliefs and rules in society than you did. Which country do you come from? What family were you raised in? Because you take your son, like I said, and you know, stick him in a family in Sri Lanka, he would have a very different mindset. Gender, men have different uh, you know, um, mindsets than women. Uh, is it right or wrong? Uh, that's a very bad question. It's basically, that's how it is, you know? social class, your religion, affiliations, key experiences you had. It's kind of like uh, you, you've done one deal with a Chinese guy and he cheated you and you think all Chinese are cheats. 
okay, I'm not saying right or wrong, but that's how humans behave. That's how yes. we draw. Yeah. Media, we, we, you know, watch TikTok videos and come up with uh, conclusions. Personal identity. So, so, so it's like, uh, uh, it could be like, you know, I'm a smart person. And therefore, every time you look at the world, you look at it as if you're smart. Okay, it's not that you're smart or not, but you've embraced the personal identity of being a smart person or education. Oh, I'm, a, I'm an Oxford grad. Okay, you're going to behave a certain way. And after a while, you hang out with more Oxford grads. They start, you know, you, you have a group, uh, group thinking, group behavior. Yes. Who are your friends? What profession? So physical therapists will behave a certain way. Doctors will behave another way. And it's not right or wrong. It's their profession. So this is a model I built. I mean, I've, I've been building this now for six, six or seven years now. Uh, it, it keeps expanding. So, so if you look at, uh, if you observe something, you, know, you, you have to stop and say, what is that underlying mindset? What may have influenced it? So you want to go change some of this, but you could affect change in your mindset by also changing some of these. So, for example, if you find that you're not very ambitious, you know, maybe ambitiousness might be one of the things here. If you're not and you say, gee, how do I do that? You need to change some of your beliefs or rules. But it's not like I can tell you, Kate, here are three things to become ambitious. There are four rules to follow. Instead, say, you know what? Go change your friends. Surround yourself with a group of people who are ambitious. Go join, you know, an ambitious people club in in, in, in England, right? Um, Etc. You know, go get a high. So you can go and play with these influences in order to change the mindset, in order to change your outcomes. And this is the one about the suckers. Oh yes, 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 yes. That's a nice picture, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And this is the one about business thinking. Here are the twelve stages. No? One is basically positive and negative cycles. So, so for example, let's say that you're a thief, right? And say, let's say this is you and this is me, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you say, I want to get Ram a bad deal, he's giving me 10,000 pounds worth of value, but I'm only going to pay him 6,000 pounds. Now I have only 6,000 pounds with which I can deal with people. I have to get products or solutions or services from in order to meet your needs. Mm. So since I have only 6,000, I'm going to screw this guy. Mm. And then he's going to screw another guy. Yeah. Another guy. So we end up in a negative so cycle. It's a negative cycle. On the other hand, if you know you say, you know what, I'm getting $10,000 of value, uh, I'm going to um, pay from $10,000. I do that and I deal fairly with this person who deals fairly with this person who deals fairly with this person. So if you say the world is all screwed up, one of the basic questions to ask yourself is, am I contributing to it in a positive way or a negative way? Because at the end of the day, we can only control and make decisions for ourselves. Correct. See, this is the, the, the gist of that thing we talked about earlier. Preventing predictable personal failure is the easiest path to achieving greater personal success. That's nice. Really nice. And this is the one I told you, you know, people look at outcomes, you know, but outcomes are a result of actions you take. Actions come because of certain choices you make and choices you make are based on your mindset. 
mindset comes from influences. So if you don't like your outcomes, change your mindset. You know, work backwards. That slide you just showed actually starts to make it critical because that's what I basically say in my main message is the slide with the predictable with your quote. You've yeah. struck it. Because I was very conscious as you were talking that, yeah, the, the, this personal risk um, register, you know, do a risk register for your business. Are you risk registering yourself? Which I think I commented. And one of the important things for me about a practice is that it delivers predictable pay and predictable working hours for the owner so that they mm -hmm. can have their life in order. And then for the patient, deliver predictable outcomes at predictable costs because as we bring in value-based healthcare. But mm -hmm. here, this is critical, isn't it? Because it's like you're describing, well, that's all well and good, but there's also predictable personal failure. So prevent preventing that, which makes me think actually anybody that goes on my program, I should direct proactively towards your quiz in terms of taking a risk register of themselves. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it, you, regardless of your profession, those uh, four quizzes, three of which I've sent you links to, anybody can take. Yeah. yeah. And they will get insights. And yeah. uh, we have a report and, you know, like there are some reports which are like 50 pages long. I don't like those, you know, I, I kind of give you the thing like in one short paragraph each. Yeah. Now, if you have uh, 15 uh, out of the 16 uh, a smart uh, but not successful quiz, uh, you take it and, and all, let's say all of them are enablers, it kind of points out to you in very short paragraphs what attributes you have or how you are using it that is enabling you to succeed. That is the most, that is really important, that sentence. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this content valuable, here are four ways I can help you grow your practice for free. Firstly, grab a copy of how to create a super successful practice plan at marchandmethod.com forward slash grow. And whilst you're there, you can check out the free training that'll help you tackle common problems practice owners just like you face. Thirdly, at marchandmethod.com forward slash grow, you can sign up for my free newsletter where I send out weekly hints and tips. You'll also get links to the podcast, articles and other resources that you might find helpful and inspiring as you grow your practice. And finally, please leave a five-star review so I can access more influential guests and bring their lessons back to you here.